Anyways, 2015, car accident happened, rolled the car over, went out the window, should have died, broke nine ribs, collapsed a lung, lots of internal contusions, ripped my ACL and LCL in my right knee. So really smashed my body up. One of the first things the doctor said, yeah, you're probably gonna let that part of your life go and then walks out to see his next patient. What does it mean to be living, to be alive? To me, it's like, no, like at the center, if you were to draw a big circle, at the center of that circle, the thing you're trying to fight to stay away from is a feeling of hollowness, apathy, a lack of meaning, purpose, direction. And a life well lived does everything it can to be in any direction, even the bad ones, even the suffering. That's rich human living. That's being alive. That's experiencing the full gamut of human emotion. Welcome to the Rockman Podcast, the podcast brought to you by Rockman, the running and fitness challenge brand for those with a deep desire to test and further their limits and live a healthier life with fortitude. At Rockman, we provide the challenges, sportswear, content and community to motivate you to push your body, strengthen your mind and achieve your next level of health, fitness and mental resilience. You can sign up and become a member of the team at rockman.co.uk. If you'd like to be notified about new podcast releases, then be sure to hit the subscribe button below. And if you take any value from this podcast, please be sure to give us the thumbs up, leave us a review, or share it via your socials. So in order for us to know which episodes are good, which are bad, we would really appreciate some feedback or engagement. Now, without further ado, I'm Terry Rosamond, Rockman founder, and I hope you enjoy. Right, recording in progress. Jason Hardraff, welcome to the Rockman Podcast. How are you doing today? It's a pleasure to be here. We we had to really tweak some time zones to make this work, uh, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so tell people where you are. We're obviously, we're in Cardiff, Wales in the UK. Where are you based? I am in Southern Oregon next to a, a in, in a little community called Bonanza. It's a tiny little one gas station town uh, outside of Klamath Falls here in Southern Oregon. So yeah, well, right near the California border. With a name like Bonanza, you'd think it was all going on there. <laughs> right. I, I love the wall behind you. That, that, so what's that? Explain what that, that is. So yeah, this is my, this is my PE office. Um, I started collecting bib numbers when I was in high school for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe it was back then. It was my little confidence boost, my cookie jar, my belief in myself. Uh, but when I became a teacher, it was sort of obvious that it's like, okay, the purpose these serve now is to start a conversation with students about life and decisions and, and making choices to align toward your goals and putting in the work to earn the results you want. And it's definitely worked. It's definitely provoked some, uh, some really deep conversations with, with students of mine. Yeah. I suppose, I suppose each bib carries its own story as well. Oh, so absolutely. You've got There's a wall. A, yeah. 150 of them back there. 150. So for people listening on the podcast, uh, Jason sat in front of this huge, his whole office wall covered in bibs and medals, uh, race bibs, isn't it? Numbers and stuff like that. Yep. So you've got to be proud. You've got to stick this stuff up anyway. You know, it's got to be somewhere. This is what I hate. I hate when people get a medal or something and then it just gets thrown to the back of a drawer, sort of never to be seen again. You need, you need to wear it proud, pop, pop it on a wall, something like that. And uh, it'll empower you every time you see it so to explain why we've got you on the rockman podcast today you from near death car accident you were told you couldn't run again by the doctors you've now gone on to become a world record holder right of holding a hundred fkts so that is fastest known times on sort of segments or race stretches across the world i guess right is that correct? Yeah, you, yeah, you, you correct you, me. Yeah. 
you pretty well, you pretty well nailed it. Yeah. And, uh, in 2015, I'd, I'd been I'd been training a lot prior. My my whole life has been built around the pursuit of physical challenge and the pursuit of physical fitness and and racing. You know, most of these 150 bib numbers came from prior to the prior to the car accident. Um, it's been a through line of my life since middle school, right? So a lot of a lot of dedication and practice, and right, a lot of rehearsal of the skill of okay, I'm going to lean into greater discomfort now to get better results later. Um, you know, that discomfort is the path philosophy. That's sort of what's being instilled whenever, whenever we train, especially for, for strength or endurance sports or even skill sports, even though sometimes the skills are a little less uncomfortable than, you know, pure strength or pure endurance to train for. Um, but the process is the same. It's going to be inconvenient or uncomfortable now for better results later. Anyways, 2015 car accident happened, rolled the car over, went out the window, should have died broke nine ribs, collapsed a lung, lots of internal contusions, ripped my ACL and LCL in my right knee to complete confetti and had to have it reconstructed, broke my shoulder in two places. Um, So really smashed my body up. And yeah, one of the first things the doctor said, my first doctor, I I brought up this love I had, this passion I had that, you know, for pursuing at the time it was triathlon and running. Um, And without missing a beat, the doctor was just like, yeah, you're probably going to let that part of your life go. And then walks out to see his next patient. Um, yeah, it was, uh, that was a rough moment. That was a low, a low moment in those first few moments after he said that, cause I'd never known a version of myself that wasn't expressing himself and pursuing, right. I, I, I fell into the, uh, the identity sort error that we all make where, uh, we self-describe by what we do, you know? So I was like, oh, I'm a triathlete. I'm a runner. And so it was like this whole identity crisis, like, who am I? What am I if I'm not these things? It's like, you know, that was one of the first lessons that came from it. It's like, I'm not what I do. I choose what I do like an artist chooses their medium. Who I am is a driven, passionate, creative person. And, and I think, you know, the reason that clarity and distinction is important to realize is when you have these crises come in your life, which they're going to come, tragedy is going to come, um, you're able to go, okay. You know, so like if I lost my legs in a car accident, sure, there would be shock. Sure, there would be like, whoa, that's 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 heavy. But I would reach for a, a device and I would order myself a racing wheelchair because I would know that's what the psyche, the wiring inside of me, the real who I am is going to want long term is that next way to pursue pursue excellence, that next way to pursue growth, to pursue challenge. Um, so that was a huge lesson that came out of it. And And as I sat there in the room with the doctor, after that, that kind of lull, that low, the, you know, things we think of as bad, right? You think of a defiant kid as it's like defiance is bad. It's like, well, no, everything is a useful tool in the right circumstance. And luckily I was a little bit of a defiant kid in some ways. And in that moment, that defiant spirit, like, no, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm willing to do to get the results I want. And then along with that came an agreement. Like there's an understanding, like I might not ever, you know, I have a couple bibs back here from Ironman world championship, 70.3, uh, got to compete internationally in some 70.3 world championships, uh, in Canada and in Austria. And so I, I had the real, the real realization, like, okay, I might not ever compete at that level again. Right. There's, there's gotta be some reality to how we, how we navigate our goal setting. But the agreement I made with myself in that moment, is that I was going to lean into the discomfort, regardless of how painful it was, regardless of how long it took. And I was going to do that until I got back to some version of what I loved. And that was the agreement, was some version of what I loved. 
And so, you know, fast forward following that process, lean into two years of PT, two years of you know, rebuilding strength and coordination, um, rebuilding balance, rebuilding the functionality and range of motion in that knee and that leg, um, and uh, building other skill sets at the time. Like I'd never been a rock climber previously. I hadn't been a mountaineer previously, but I could hike up and down hills, even though I couldn't run. And so I became a hiker right? During this phase where I couldn't really run because the knee didn't have enough range of motion to do it very well. So hills led to mountains, mountains led to bigger mountains. Pretty soon I ran into mountains that had technical summit blocks where you needed to be able to rock climb. And I was like, okay, I need to take up this new, this new skill. And so I joined a climbing gym and was literally the worst person there. Like 11 year olds were doing things I couldn't do there. And that was frustrating. That was hard, right? Because our self-judgment is so quick, especially when I was used to being in like the top 2% of the world for, you know, as a triathlete for a few years prior to this accident. It's like, I went from, from being one of the best performers in what I do to being literally the worst person there. And I had to like sit with that. A, a quote that I really resonates with me is be brave enough to suck at something new. And, you know, I think that's part of navigating pivots in life is when, when hardship comes and we have to pivot a bit with what we're doing, we have to be willing to be brave enough to suck at the parts that are new that can then later on be, become integrated with the new future trajectory of our lives. And so integrated rock climbing along with this recovery process, built the skills, built the rope skills, built the safety skills, built the mountain knowledge, ended up becoming a mountain guide over this process because I just fell in love with being in the mountains. Um, and discovered uh, FKTs right around the time where I could get back to, sure, I wasn't very fast, but I could go out and jog 20 miles and link a few peaks together over a weekend and like have a, have a jolly good weekend, just out bagging peaks and seeing beautiful views and doing exactly what I wanted to do in the world, right? Doing what I loved, some version of what I loved, where I felt powerful and in control and free to, to just do as I pleased. Um, and then I discovered, yeah, FKTs. And I'm like, well, shit, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss here, but I mean, yeah, yeah. go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, this is what I'm already doing, right? Like this is, this is the thing I'm doing and there's a forum, there's a community, there's a place for that. And I now have this unique blended skill set where I'm able to go push myself with a great amount of competence for how to use, you know, the endurance of my body. Um, you know, sure. I'm not as fast, but I still have all the knowledge on how to fuel, how to train all that for endurance stuff. And I have this skill set that allows me to move through terrain that a lot of people don't know how to move through. So it's like, all right, let's, let's go down this road. And that very quickly, like very early on, and I didn't talk about it early on because it seemed too like wildly egotistical, but I knew very early, it's like, I'm going to do a hundred of these. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to aim at being the first person to do a hundred of these. I'm going to, I'm going to go as fast and hard as I can through this gauntlet this pursuit of 100, you know, not just like what's easiest, what's fastest, but what are the things that challenge me as an athlete and push me and our expressions in the mountain that are either aesthetic or have some, some aspect of challenge, whether that's soloing a rock climb or crossing a glacier with crevasses um, or just a ton of vertical gain or, or through Death Valley, um, you know, these different physical challenges. I, I was in a, one example is I, I'd never done canyoneering prior to becoming an FKT athlete. And I discovered technical, technical canyons. And I'm like, okay, well, well a fully technical slot canyon is not safe to try to compete in. Like that's not safe, but the semi-technical ones 
are sort of like nature's obstacle course where you're like running hard for like 15 minutes and then you've got a boulder problem to get around and you have to be able to like jump and grab and move and pivot um, and get a little off kilter and work through the problem and then you're back to running um, and you run another 15 minutes and then you have another boulder problem. Um, and so like discovered that and added some of those to the FKT um, routes and that that actually that also became an expression of it is it's like it gave a place for my creativity my mind to express itself when you show up for a race it's like you pay the race director to take care of all of the logistics and the planning and the course planning so that all you have to do is test your fitness which is great right there's 150 bib numbers on my wall where i got to do that i got to run that experiment and really learn about myself and that opened the door for being able to go okay now I want all those logistics, all that mental process, all that creativity back on my own shoulders and let's see what I can build as I do it. Um, so it became a really full-on expression of, of my own personality and my own desires and uh, my passions, what, mm -hmm. what lights me up. Um, so yeah, there's, uh, I guess that's about as much, as quick as I can sum that up. Um, no, yeah. That's great. <laughs> I'm wondering, so when you're laying in that hospital bed, did you ever have a picture of like, did you have the big vision of what you were aiming for? Was it literally step by step? I mean, you sort of explained how you built up the steps, but was it always you're just focusing on the next run right now? I just want to be able to walk first. And that was your focus. Did you ever envisage that you would eventually be doing something as big as this? Um, I mean, I'm a subscriber to blurry targets and bright lines um, in that our vision at first of anything we might go do is very, very blurry. You certainly can't see the bullseye. You might not even be able to, you might only barely be able to see there's even a target out there. It might be just a general life direction that you're like, I want more of this. And I'm not even certain what this fully is. Um, so you have blurry targets, but then you set bright lines, right? Like the difference between driving on a road in a snowstorm or a rainstorm that has no bright lines on the sides where you're just scared the whole time you're going to drive off the road or a freshly painted road where you're like, nope, I know exactly where I am, even though I can't see very far ahead. Um, and those bright lines are the rules we set for ourselves, the, the process we follow in the moment. And so I, I set really bright lines on what my practices would be that every day I was going to lean into, you know, if the P, even if the PT made what already hurt, hurt worse, right? It's not like you wake up and you're not in pain after throwing yourself out of a car window, already at a base level of pain. And for a lot of the PT process, especially early on, everything you do just makes everything hurt worse. And it's like, no, I'm going to be willing to do that every single day to see the tiniest bit of progress. So not even, not even get back to walking. It was like, Ooh, that's as much as I've ever made my knee bend, right? Like that degree of small, the things you just take for granted. One of the, one of the things I had to do mentally that I still do to this day, when, when, whenever something comes up, like a, a PR from a, 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 like my marathon PR that's from before the car accident, I refer to it as my former life in my former life. And, and that was a very intentional thing I had to do in the moment to not live in my own shadow. I had to give myself permission not to live in my own shadow. And so very quickly, I was like, okay, that was my former life. That guy, that guy lived a good life. Like he really crushed it, but he's gone now. Like this guy needs to build himself and gave my permit myself permission to start over from ground zero. And that's really important. Cause if you're always measuring yourself by the gap left 
to get to some place you dream of being or some place you once were, like every time that process happens, that mental cycle happens, it's demotivating because you just see how how far you have left. And sometimes it can seem hopeless, like, well, I'll never get back to running like that again or moving like that again or feeling like that again. But when you when you can let all that go and you just go, because like the process is all we ever had in the beginning, right? When we start playing as little kids, somebody, somebody hands us a basketball and we just start shooting at the hoop. We'll miss a thousand times with no self-judgment when we're young. And then we'll miss a thousand more and we'll miss a thousand more. And then we make our first one and we celebrate. Uh, and that's, that's the secret of the process is to, is to be willing to put in thousands of thousands of reps and celebrate every small win. And that's, that's the process I sank into is like, okay, I'm going to notice every, okay, that's as far as I've bent my knee. Hey, I walked, I walked today, you know, and my knee didn't turn into a grapefruit. You know, I went back to work today and by the end of the day, it's like, oh yeah, my knee's swollen, but it's a lot less swollen. Um, like noticing all those little things and celebrating every little bit of the process along the way. And so, yeah, did I know I was going to break a record for climbing the hundred tallest mountains in Washington? No, I had no clue. There's no way I could have known that, but it's something I talk with my students about. I say, we're preparing for opportunities we can't see yet. That's, that's how life is. And if you put the time in and you put the work in and, and you learn to be a student of your sport and, and have a vision for, for the, the space you're operating within, the realm you're trying to, trying to conquer, then you're going to be ready when the opportunity comes and you're going to be able to see it when it's right in front of you. Yeah. And, and that's what happened is I put the time in and you know 2018 rolled around and end of 2018, I discovered FKTs and I was in this right place where my body was just back enough that I could really lean in and go do some stuff in the mountains. And so a whole, whole new world. And even when I first started FKTs is like, did I know I would become known for conquering just like a unimaginable FKT of a, of a hundred, a hundred mountain summits and one push like, no, even then that would have been unthinkable when I was starting down the road. Cause it was just like, I was doing like two or three mountain summits and a push. Um, so it was like that I forged myself through the process. Do you think you would have achieved anything on that level if you hadn't had that near-death experience? Um, no, I mean, I think, I think I probably would have stayed racing, stayed, you know, very, I, I tend to be a bit obsessive. I'll admit that. I mean, I think it's a superpower in some regards. I have hyper-focus ADHD, so I'm very distracted with things that don't grab me and I can just sit and, and hours can just tick away and I can forget to eat when it's something I'm locked in on. Um, so I think I would have probably just stayed focused in on more traditional racing settings. And I would have, I probably would have done, like, I probably would have gone and found the, the hardest ultras in the world to go do and the hardest triathlons in the world. To go. Like I, I naturally seek out the next big thing. And so the, the progression would have been, I would have ended up doing, you know, whatever today's hardest i forget what the name of the one is now but there have been a few over the years that are like considered the world's hardest triathlon um i probably would have landed in those types of events which would have been cool and it would have been you know uh, an achievement and it would have been a challenge um but i don't know i kind of think this stuff expressing what's possible in the mountains um especially things like the bulgers project where people weren't even sure that that particular set of mountains because of how remote they are and how challenging the terrain is and all the different like route details that are condition and season dependent within the the list 
a lot of people doubted it could be done in a season. And so to go reach in, reach into the chaos and pull out like, no, it is possible. Um, that's a pretty cool thing. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a pretty special experience um, to be able yeah. to stand at that brink of the unknown and, and redefine something. Um, so yeah, in a weird way, even though I would never wish a, a massive setback, uh, an accident on anyone else, like in a way it was, it was a powerful pivot because of uh, the way I was able to handle it. Absolutely. Is, is there anything that you can pinpoint from your childhood or upbringing that sort of made you think like this, instill those values within you uh, to make you the person who you are today? Um, well, I mean, I'll start with this. Number one, uh, I think any great story we author for ourselves in the present and the future starts with a deep understanding of our story from the past. And I was the ADHD little kid who struggled to sit still, who struggled to not be impulsive and ruin relationships and ruin status within the community and and be in trouble with any institution, whether it was school, church, whatever, because I would do silly things in the moment that it wasn't until well after I'd already done the thing that my brain would finally catch up and I would be like, oh, that was a terrible idea, but it's already done. The, the, the deed is already done. The friendship is already ruined. The status is already damaged. Um, and, you know, a kid like that that has trouble regulating their emotions and trouble controlling their behaviors is really easy to pick on, right? Because you can very quickly get the reaction you want out of them if you've got a little bit of a bully streak in you, which to some degree, almost all kids do one way or another. Um, so I, I, was the, I was the subject of a lot of uh, difficulties growing up. But I found... I was lucky enough to find how important physical movement was because that's one thing ADHD is, is it's a, a, a psyche that's really deeply tied in with the need for physical movement. I think most, and I, again, this is all guesswork for me, right? Because I'm inside the psyche I'm inside of. It's the water I swim in. But as I can see it, it seems that most people are much, it's much easier for them to like not listen to their, their body's desire and impulse to move. They're like sickness of sitting still. They're able to like deaden that out much easier than I can. For me, it it's very quickly this like raging voice where I can't sit still. Like my staff members have gotten used to me just not sitting in a chair during staff meetings. I'll stand at the back of the room so I can move around. And they're just, that's just normal now, um, which is great that I have an understanding staff that gets that. It's like, I'm not wired the same as everybody else. Um, and I think, right. So being able to look back and go, okay, I was never going to thrive. The, the achievements I'm going to have in life were never going to be built around sitting still and shutting up. Um, they're going to be built around going big, moving, and, and, and trying, to, trying to tell others and inspire others through it. Um, like that's, that's what I'm wired to do. And so it's only by looking into my past that I can look like, okay, this is something that would make eight-year-old Jason proud. Like, look, look, look at what 33-year-old Jason has become, right? Which I think is, you know, one of the great advices of the world is, right, live in a way that would make eight-year-old you proud of who you became and 80-year-old you uh, pleased with how you spent the time. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that's a huge part. Number two, um, I don't think it's all just disposition. I think some of it is nurture. And I was lucky enough to get into skating at a young age. And skating, when you really dedicate yourself to it, 
you, the opponent you're competing against is gravity and cement. Those are your opponents. <laughs> um, and they are not, they are not very forgiving teachers. And so you have to, you have to be willing to take your falls and hurt to earn your tricks, to earn your successes, right? Which is one of the most powerful lessons in life. And Jordan, Jordan Peterson, a really great thinker of our time, he, he talks about this. Like one of his rules in his, his 12 rules for life book is don't, don't disrupt kids when skateboarding. And the premise of the rule is don't interrupt kids when they're doing dangerous things carefully. And that's where all the best learning is, right? That's where all the best living is. You know, every, every great experience from, from real humanity, like in the athletic world or the adventure world, um, the expedition world, it's when human beings are doing very dangerous things with a great level of skill and very carefully that it's an amazingly compelling story, both for them and for us to watch. Like that's the best lived life. And so why would we want to interrupt kids? when they're practicing the kid version of what turns into the most important thing as adults. And so I think that opportunity to sort of forge this willingness to like earn, earn that growth, earn that success. And then also secondarily, like earn that status and that identity, like, Oh, whoa, this is, this person's really good at skating. Um, and I think that helped forge me into the person. And then of course, obviously like, running as a kid and discovering that and setting goals within that um, helped, helped establish like the mindset and the thinking and like the, the memories to call upon to go, yeah, okay, if I'm willing to put the time in, I can achieve difficult goals. And yeah, it's going to hurt, but I'm capable of putting up with that hurt. Um, and, and it's worth it. And I think all of those things uh, looped together help make me into the person that I am and the person that is capable of lifting what I lift in 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 this world. Yeah. But why did you do it then? Because it, it gets, is it because, is it a fat matter of you're proving something to yourself or is it more that you're proving something to others about yourself? Because um, I know you said you, you touched on there was a bit of bullying in school or the, the doctor saying you can't run and you don't know me, you, that was your quote. How much of it is you proving them wrong or versus you proving something to yourself? Um, it's definitely, man, it's definitely both. It's definitely both. Um, I, I think, especially now, more mature uh, me, it's much more me with me. Um, I think earlier on, especially in, in like teenhood, early high school, when running was kind of like my identity, like I was the kid who trained year round. I was the crazy one who would run when it was snowing. Uh, I was, I was the one like, you know, that was a, a status and like that I went to state state competitions and stuff like that. So there was very much uh, an identity and a place in the world, right? A significance, a way that, oh, I matter. I have a role. I I'm, I'm important. Um, all of that was very much wired in early on. And then also uh, I had a hard time with my dad. The film kind of covers this journey to 100. It, it kind of covers this. Um, that my dad had a little hard time because he grew up in abused in an abused home. And one of the one of the things that happens, we know, we all know now, that's cyclical because a person who's treated that way as a kid, the easiest thing to call upon in the most frustrating moments of life is that physical violence. Um, you're left with that that mark on you for for all of time, and so my dad withdrew from me. I, I can remember sometimes he got really frustrated, and you could tell like he was restraining himself, and then he kind of withdrew. 
while, while I was still, and I can look back now with adult words and adult thinking, but at the time, like, how does a kid deal with like, like dad got really mad. Now dad doesn't take me anywhere anymore. He just takes brother. Um, so that was really difficult. And, and kids who don't get acknowledgement from their fathers do tend to seek it in a hyper overcompensation from elsewhere in the world. And I think to some degree that wired me uh, to be willing to like do endure whatever it took to achieve something that mattered, something that had relevance. Um, and that owned me, I think, when I was in high school and early college. And I did a lot of work on myself through college, kind of coming aware like how much I was just sort of owned by this overwhelming impulse to just prove myself to others, to, to, to achieve the next thing, not just for me, not just for the growth of it, not for the process of it, but for the, the outcome of it and the, the identity of it. And I didn't want to be owned by that anymore, but I can reflect back now and I go, it's like, man, that's a cool switch to have in your brain. Like I didn't want to like try to do enough, do so much work that I made it disappear. Right. I didn't want that part of me to be gone. Cause I love what's possible when I flip that switch. Um, but yeah, now it's definitely more, more of a personal journey. Although I think, I think vision quests and rites of passage that we create for ourselves. It's like rites of passage are something we, we know about for cultures for a long time. It's kind of sad in American culture. It's like you turn 16, you get a driver's license and then you turn 18 and you can smoke and vote. Good for you. Like you're an adult now. It's like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, uh, I, I, think, I think physical rites of passage and physical vision quests where we seek out a challenge that's going to transform us into some better version of ourselves. Um, I think that was what I was doing prior to the car accident, but then it got kickstarted over again after the car accident where it's like, I want to reclaim my personal power. I want to be able to go where I want to go and do the things I want to do. I want to have that freedom. I want to have that, that, that power and that control over my, my universe where I I'm, I'm the, uh, captain of my soul. Um, and so you look at a lot of my early FKTs, a lot of them are solo. A lot of them are self-supported or unsupported. It was me with me out there testing myself in nature against the best and most difficult challenges I thought were possible for me in nature. Uh, so this gauntlet, if you will, that I was running myself through this testing. Um, and then, especially since the Bulgers, uh, you look at my list now, almost all of them have been shared with other people. They've been a, a process of taking what I've learned and passing it on to others and creating beyond ordinary moments of existence uh, for others that transform their concept of self about what's possible for them. Um, there's definitely been a, a, a shift in, in the focus and the, the, the urges there, where now it's like more about sharing and less about growing. Um, and I think, I think I'll pivot and I think it's healthy to like pivot between them. Cause I think sometimes we have to, we have to grow ourselves more to be able to have that next thing to hand on to others, which that's how I'm wired, right? It's like, I'm, a, I'm not a teacher because it's a job that I took, a role that I took. I'm a teacher because I'm, I'm wired that way. It's, you know, again, looking into my past, I was the little kid in class that when someone was scared of catching a football, I would take the time instead of just pointing and laughing at them like other kids would, I would take the time to do soft underhand tosses back and forth. Okay, let's back up a little soft underhand tosses. Okay, we're gonna try to do it this way first. Don't be scared. So even as a little kid, I was the person that like wanted to carry someone 
from a state of disbelief or lack of skill to a state of belief and skill. And so it's like, oh, this is how I'm wired. This is who I'm meant to be, regardless of what I'm doing, regardless of what title people call me by. I'm meant to carry someone from a place of unbelief and lack of skill to a place of greater belief and greater skill. Um, and so, right, I took myself through this gauntlet of learning. And now I'm in the process of, of circling that back and giving it more to others. Um, yeah, I think it's important to give back, definitely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's what gives everything meaning. Otherwise, you, mm -hmm. you accomplish the things you accomplish and you look at them and go, wow, that's hollow and empty and meaningless and was very, very selfish. Absolutely. The only way the only way the self-development isn't just selfish is if we turn it back to others at the end. Right. That's the hero's journey. Right. It's not, you know, American culture. Anyways, it's very much like, yeah, the badass slays the dragon. They're a hero. No, no, no. That's not a hero. A hero is the person that slays the dragon, even sometimes reluctantly. Like they're not the one who wants to have to go, but they slay the dragon to then bring the gold that the dragon is hoarding back to the village and to stop the dragon from killing the villagers. Like that's why. And so, you know, it's like we know this cycle about what makes life meaningful going way back into, into myth. Um, and so if we don't follow that path, like that path exists for a reason. If we don't follow that path, we risk making everything hollow and meaningless. Absolutely. We, I mean, in Rockman, we talk about having a purpose. And I think um, we talk about, you know, what is the meaning of life? And I think the meaning of life is to give your life meaning. But if if it's a selfish purpose, if it only serves yourself, that that, as you just said, it's a hollow meaning. It is all about other people. It's about serving other people, bettering other people. You'll get so much more from that. You'll get so much more of a fulfillment from that than you will serve in yourself. Um, so I totally agree. I'm going on to sort of like a bit of philosophy and stuff like that, I was wondering, what's your understanding of mental resilience and where do you place it in the importance hierarchy of sort of what you need to endure these challenges or, or life in general? Oh man, it's... Uh... I've never billed myself as an elite athlete. Some other, some other people consider what I did in Washington climbing those peaks as elite. I, I'm on the fence about it. Like I'll leave that up to them. They can say whatever they want. Um, but I've never billed myself as an elite athlete in any way. Like I'm not, I was, I was never like some kind of standout all-star performer. I barely held on to a varsity spot my whole college career of running. Um, like I had to work my butt. I was, I was the one who was willing to work. Um, and that's, that's all I've ever been be willing to suffer, willing to work. And I think, I think, you know, as I've talked before, like being willing to lean into discomfort long ago, even in high school, I made an agreement with myself that it was never going to be discomfort that made me stop chasing my dreams and stop chasing my goals. Um, like no, no matter how much it hurt, if I could see progress toward my goal, I was going to keep going. Um, so that mental resilience and that agreement with yourself for the standards you're going to hold yourself to those bright lines, those rules you're going to set for yourself. I think that's super important. Um, I think also how we put ourselves together, right. And, and usually put yourself together is kind of a derogatory put down, like, ah, oh, put yourself together, uh, when somebody's crying or something. But I think there's a reason we use that term, right? Because we understand we are a creature of components that don't always line up well that are sometimes at odds with each other. Our drive to find a mate can sometimes ruin our drive for self-expression and to achieve something great that's useful to others. 
like their things are at odds. They're not always lined up. And so to put oneself together, I think is a, a much harder thing to do than we give people credit for to, to put themselves together in a way that they're doing anything meaningful and, and that's of any level of good to, for others, instead of an apathetic, nothing, that's a waste on others. That's a, that's a, a, a downward pull on others. I think that that needs to be celebrated way more than it is, because I think it's a really difficult thing to take all the components that make us human and to arrange them in such a way to glue them all together, right? Another phrase we use is, oh man, I came unglued. Um, to glue them together in such a way that it creates momentum toward meaningful somethings. Um, and I think, I think there's so many different components of that. One of them that comes to mind is people, people often ask the question uh, of those of us who do big, difficult, challenging projects that, you know, you're, you're in terrain that could kill you and you're pushing for multiple days into sleep deprivation and fatigue. They want to go, Oh, what do you do in your low points? And to me, having suffered with depression, um, kind of manic up and down depression, in, in college a bit, um, sort of a histrionic up and down. That experience for me, it was like my existence was hollowed out. It was like I was hollowed out where my favorite foods seemed flavorless. My favorite activities seemed pointless and without any fun or meaning. Uh, to pursue continuing my, like show, waking up and going to class, and like to, to better my future just seemed so far away and so overwhelmingly hard. And that like, did it really matter anyways? Um, just this loss of all color, this hollowing out of all meaning. And that sits, that experience sits as an anchor, an anchor point for, for how I build my framework of what does it mean to be living? to be alive. And so what I realize is, you know, a lot of people think like, oh yeah, having, you know, being, you know, suffering and being sad and, and being in doubt, like those are bad things. To me, it's like, no, like at the center, if you were to draw a big circle at the center of that circle, the thing you're trying to fight to stay away from this gravity well, this black hole at the center is a feeling of hollowness, apathy, a lack of meaning, purpose, direction, uh, colorlessness like that sits at the center and, and a life well lived does everything it can to be in any direction, even the bad ones, even the suffering, the fullest suffering you've ever felt, the saddest sadness you've ever felt like that's rich human living. That's being alive. That's experienced the full gamut of human emotion. Like that's not to be avoided. So when I'm out there doing these things and I'm, in fear of dying and my fingers are cold and my nose is freezing and you know whatever ever whatever other number of things are going wrong and i'm in a, i'm in the pain cave and i'm suffering and i'm like whoo this is real that's exactly what it is i go this is real i'm really here i'm really alive i'm really doing this and i'm feeling and this is rich and full it's not sitting in front of the computer on Facebook or on Instagram or TikTok endlessly scrolling while feeling nothing and just forgetting every moment of my life. It's very much the contrary. It's the opposite. It's like, I'm going to remember this moment forever, indelibly, in detail. And to me, that's, that's like part of being fully alive. And that flips the whole script, right? It's not like I'm running from half of my human existence. It's not like I want to forget 
half of my human existence. It's not like when things get hard, I go, man, I can't wait till I have a beer and a burger. It's like, oh no, here we are. Welcome to the pain cave. Let's decorate. Um, and I think, I think those little things, those little pivots and flips of how we perceive the hard moments in life, what we center as to what's to be avoided and what's to be pursued, like that makes a massive difference in, in what we're able to ask of ourselves, the agreements we're able to make with ourselves and how we're able to handle the moments that do get hard in life. Um, and so I would say, yeah, all that to circle around and to be example of saying that I think our approach mentally and our mental resilience is a thousand percent more important, not just for an athletic pursuit, but for our whole life. Um, cause it's like, I could have come out of this car accident and I could be a negative, bitter person who felt his life and his love and his passion was stolen from him. And it all, the only difference between that version of Jason Hardrath, who probably also drinks too much um, and might be a little bit violent, uh, the only difference between that and this version of Jason that's inspiring and lifting and, and talking to others, giving you know, talks like this, uh, getting on a stage and, and addressing uh, audiences of students, like the only difference is the mental approach that went into it, right? Those are the, that's the divide. Uh, both of those, we, we, we know people who have major setbacks and become bitter because of it. We all do. Um, and so the only thing that determines our outcome in life that way is our mental resilience, the approach we have internally for managing those things. So I think it's everything. That um, is one of the best explanations I have ever heard, Jason. That was brilliant. I delivered <laughs> with passion as well. But you're quite right, because the way you were saying, it's like you've got to head towards these hard, difficult situations, these this, these situations of physical pain, because the opposite doesn't bear thinking about, because you can really go down a, a downward spiral that, you know, if you don't meet these uh, situations of meaning, these purpose, it doesn't bear thinking about where you can end up that place yeah your nose might be hurting your fingers might be freezing you may be you know your legs may be burning but that's so much better than the opposite of where it goes but jason i i know your uh push for time so that was amazing i i, I will have to wrap it up there but that was amazing i really enjoyed that i i was just sat back watching and listening so it's great and i, hope, <laughs> I know the, uh, the listeners are going to take some real value from that but what does the future hold what what where are we going 101 fkts Oh, well, I'm already to 115. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, I, I always like to say that the way you know you're properly aligned in life is that the way you want to celebrate doing the thing is by doing more of the thing. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like I got to 100 and I'm like, oh man, I'm so glad I can be done with this. Like, oh, that was hard and I, I'm sick of it. No, it's like, I finished. I'm like, huh, well, I'm in this part of the country. Like, what else can I do while I'm here? Um, you know, and I definitely plan to keep pursuing FKTs. I don't think I'll, I'll pursue them at the rate that I did before. Um, I was kind of going at a breakneck every single weekend and then multiple per week during my, my summers and my breaks as a teacher. Um, and now it's kind of like I'm focusing in on some bigger, uh, like difficult ones that have been on my radar that I need to like train and rehearse because um, they're intricate enough that you have to sort of know what you're getting into to not, well, land yourself in the hospital or worse. Um, so I've got, I've got some more things. This summer, I took down one called Dormans 13, which is a technical traverse uh, plus run across the Sierra in California. 
um, I want to do a big, uh, really big one this next school summer called the Rockies Mountain Grand Slam, which is the tallest peaks of Montana, Wyoming, and Colorado. So it's the uh, Montana 12er list, the Wyoming 13er list, uh, referring to 12,000 foot, 13,000 foot, and then the Colorado 14,000 foot list all in a push. And it's known as the Rockies Mountain Grand Slam here in the States. It's 120 peaks. Um, and I want to take a crack at the record on that. Um, so when you say like 12,000 um, feet elevation, is that elevation gain or is that like the height, the, the, the height of the peak? That's the height of the peak. Jesus. I mean, like in Britain, I think our highest mountain is 3,500 feet, something around <laughs> that. Like that's so yeah. so yeah, like the, the, the air is a little thinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I bet it is. I'm a little bit nippier. Yeah. I bet it is. But <laughs> if, if people want to follow you and um, on, on your progress, where can they find you? Where can uh, are you on Instagram or anything like that? Facebook? Awesome. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm just Jason Hardrath, no periods, no underscores, Jason Hardrath on Instagram. That's probably the easiest place to follow me and interact with with my stuff. Uh, I also respond to my messages there. If anybody's like looking for coaching or advice or wants to take down your first FKT, uh, like I said, I love to teach. I love to help. Um, so you can reach out to me there. I'm also on Facebook uh, as well. Not on there as often. Uh, a lot of the stuff is just sort of cross-posted from Instagram, um, but I can be reached there as well. And then I have a website, jasonhardraft.com, that if you're you know an old school emailer, if that's what you're into, like you can email me through the contact form. Um, and then of course, journey to 100, the film that kind of covers a lot of what we talked about and a lot of, uh, the philosophy and kind of plays out my childhood. Um, it's on YouTube. You can find journey to 100. I'll make sure you have a link for the show description. Um, you can find it on yeah YouTube or on uh, outside watch. It lives yeah. there as well. So I'll, yeah, I'll, those. I'll put all these links in the show notes below so people can uh, click directly on them as well. Awesome. Yeah. This has been but a pleasure. Yeah, no, I've loved it. Honestly, I've, I've never felt so inspired. Like you were re really good at sort of articulating the 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 philosophies and the messages that, that you know Rockman embodies. So I'm I'm really happy to have you on, and I know the listeners uh, will be really pleased to listen to it as well. So thank you. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll have an excuse to talk again. This was a pleasure. No, absolutely, absolutely. If we can align times again, I'll, I'll, we'll get you on again. So after, uh, yeah, get a couple more FKTs under your belt, and then uh, we'll get you back on. It's been a pleasure, Terry. You have a great one. Awesome. And you. Cheers, Jason. At Rockman, we provide the challenges, sportswear, content, and community to motivate you to push your body, strengthen your mind, and achieve your next level of health, fitness, and mental resilience. You can sign up and become a member of the team at rockman.co.uk.